everyone. Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my favorite front people in the world, Shauna Potter of the band War on Women, of the band Avec, and, and of, of, of more. We will talk about it in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can send an email to turnedoutapunk.com podcast at gmail.com. There is also a Facebook page run by my brother who checks that email address and is the show producer, Tristan Abraham, and the person responsible for getting Sean on the show today. So Tristan, thank you so much for uh, guest booking this and uh, all the other things you do on the show. Really appreciate it, brother. I love you, man. I love you. Um, and uh, th- that was very heartfelt this week. I got got caught up in that moment there for a second. Anyway. On to the rest of the plugs. Uh, to find me on various forms of social media, I'm at at Left for Damien. There's also, though, a Turn Out a Punk Instagram, at Turned Out a Punk, where Tristan posts stuff up there. There's also a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Turned Out a Punk. There's uh, Tumblr. Uh, yeah. And the best way to support this show is by sending an email to your friends, going over their house. Hell, even. Even do the archaic thing and call them on a phone, uh, probably just shoot them a text first because people get really weirded out when you just call them. Trust me. I'm, I'm a caller. I call people on the phone. They get really fucking weirded out. I hear about it all the time. It's like, why are you calling me? Why don't you just text? I don't know. I'm a caller. But don't be that person. Just text that person and tell them about all the fun you have when you listen to this podcast and, and listen to them. Have your own turn it up punk listening parties. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, don't, don't, don't really go through with that, but you know, you know, maybe have a small one, just have some people over to listen to this podcast. Uh, you could also, uh, um, support this show by, uh, subscribing to it, rating it and, and uh, whatever you have to do on your podcast platform of choice that you're listening to these podcasts. It's no longer just one place. You know, when I started this thing way back when in the heady days of three years ago, it was pretty much. Like one place you're going for your podcast, but now it's like a wide open world, you know, it's a wide open sea of podcast platforms out there. So anyway, on your platform of choice, subscribe to this thing, rate it, and that'd be awesome. Speaking of awesome, I got to say thank you to Vans for the awesome support of this podcast and for uh, letting me book whoever I want to book. You know, I can just kind of do this thing and they just support me. You know, they've just said, do what you want to do. And we will support you. And I am very grateful to you, Vance. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for the support for the show. That is it for the plug, the introduction portion, and now on to the the real part of the show that everyone cares about, the actual show itself. Oh, actually, but first, uh, if you're in Victoria this weekend, I'm going to be playing Rifflandia Festival out there, so... Come out and check that out. Bring hash, bring bring flour, bring whatever you want to bring. Um, I will be there to to hang out. Uh, also, there's a new fucked up record coming out. There's a bunch of new songs. There's some comps and some seven inches that I legitimately have no idea how they fit into the whole thing because I haven't been smartened up to it, you know. But I, I'm I'm loving it. I like I found out about a new seven inch today that I think may involve members of fucked up. I don't know. 
I, I, I heard it, and I was like, yeah, that sounds like someone in the band, but I don't know for sure, but I guess it all fits together. The record's called Dose Your Dreams. It is coming out on Merge. And so why I'm telling you about this now, other than the fact that you can go pre-order it, it means that finally I'm going to get Mac and Laura on the show, you know? It just took me having to sign the label, but it's going to happen. So anyway, uh, pick up that record or, or pre-order that record, I should say. And yeah, thanks if you are doing that. And uh, if not, on to today's show. Today on the show, Shauna Potter of the band War on Women. And she's someone that I've I've gotten to see play live a lot of times, actually, now that I think about it. Um and has always been someone I think, and the whole band's amazing, obviously, but she, as a front person, as, as a front person myself, like that is what I always end up kind of focusing on is front people. And she's one of the best out there doing it, uh, today. And so I was really stoked to get her on the show. And the weird thing is I've hung out with this band. I've, I've met tons of, you know, various members of this band, not everyone in the band, uh, but yeah, and definitely not Shauna until, this podcast right here. So that's one of the things that I do this thing for is so I can meet friends. That's really what it comes down to. I'm a, a, a parent with, you know, three kids. I don't have a lot of time to go out in the world. So this has to be uh, the way that I get to uh, engage with people that I've never talked to in real life. But now when we see each other, we'll have stuff to talk about. So there's going to be a lot of fun for everyone. Speaking of fun, This is an amazing episode. I'm not going to blather on anymore. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Shauna Potter on Turned Out a Punk. Shauna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Well, you know, I was telling you just off air that this is the turnaround point in my day because prior to getting on the phone with you, I dropped my phone in the toilet. So that was, this is where it all turns around from the, from the lowest lows to the highest highs. (laughs) It's good to know where I rank. (laughs) We're definitely way, way, way above Your day events. Yeah. (laughs) If I came on, if I came on and said, oh, well now it's downhill from my phone being dropped in the toilet. That would make (laughs) me a terrible host. (laughs) <laughs> yeah who would do your show Nobody. no one hopefully um but i'm a huge fan i've gotten to see you play numerous times with uh in numerous settings actually um but i've wanted to have you on the show for a super long time so thank you for making the time to do this thank you for all the nice things you're saying thank you awesome well i gotta start this off the way i start them all off which is how'd you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre oh um so I, I've been going back and forth. I, I don't know if it was like one day someone was like, hey, you're you're in junior high. Have you heard of the Sex Pistols? You know, or if I had already started listening to Bikini Kill and that was my like that was that was my punk um, and they might have happened simultaneously. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, I definitely someone. I went to go visit a high school uh, before I moved to Nashville and to go to high school there. Um, and so we went to visit to see where we would live and what school we'd go to. And, and I got to like hang out for a half a day with someone 
like go to high school. Even like a shadowing of someone in high school. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that like, sounds awkward. Like, pe- like people do in college. I'm yeah. Like, why? Why would you let like? <laughs> why did you get some young kid get get beat up in high school? You know, like what's gonna happen? Yeah. Um. So I don't know why this was even possible. I bet we lied and said I was this girl's cousin. We were just friends. Um. But but someone in her class had a Sex Pistols cassette. And was like, listen to this. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. You know, I was like, oh, they're so mad. And it's really <laughs> catchy. So it's safely dangerous. Right. Um, but but I think I think my true introduction to punk wit was um, was, yeah, it was like Bikini Kill and stuff on Kill Rock Stars. And, and so like, I think when people talk to me about punk and then they play some sort of Blink-182 derivative, (laughs) it's like really far away from what I consider punk, you know, like I realize like, oh, musical genre, it could mean anything. Um, So I I try to think of punk as more of like uh, an ethos, you know, like a way, a way to do things, a way to think about things. And the kind of punk I like is is punk rock, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or you know, Riot Girl or or whatever Riot Girl is today, um, and like hardcore and like Refused and you know, like I, I was I was obsessed with Sonic Youth, you know, like that was punk rock to me. Mm-hmm. So Babes in Toyland and and Hole and stuff. So um, it was yeah, it was not like spiky hair punk skank and pickle i remember like <laughs> i'm like remembering all these bands that my 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 friends in high school were into and i was just like okay <laughs> <laughs> whatever guys like what are these like i don't get ska like i just like i definitely was into suicide machines but that's about it you know well they had a lot of punk songs they're like the operation ivy of a later era yeah i don't know it's i i think that I think maybe for some folks, they they find a band and then they just go deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. into the label, into the bands they tour with, into the the members' other bands, and like it just spreads like that really naturally. And obviously, I do some of that, but I also feel like my brain is sort of like, cool, okay, well we've got a band that sounds like that, so we don't need any more. <laughs> now what's over here? You know, and I like, I just don't need to listen to anything else that sounds like Suicide Machines. They're enough. I like them and we're done. Okay. And that's it. Like stuff like that. So I I don't, I don't know if I can, um, I don't know. Yeah. So it's one of those, like, I don't know everything about music. Surprise. Cause who does? Yeah, exactly. But, but when people want to really talk about punk, talk about music and do you remember that one record with that one song and they went on this one tour in 82 <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I don't know. Is that okay? Can I still like the music? Do you mind? <laughs> Well, yeah, a lot of it is a people's way of echoing their insecurities or just sort of imposing their insecurities, I should say, on other people through music knowledge sometimes. like Yeah, it's either going to be music or something else, right? Yeah. But we, we, we all love to feel like experts, like we've got one up on someone. <laughs> and, and that's such a weird, natural place to go. But I, I'm always reminded um, of the humility involved 
and getting excited about something new and being a young kid discovering something. Yeah, absolutely. And like how wonderful it is that some elder of the scene would be like, yeah, come to the show. You'll love it. Like, let me show you what, what's here instead of what you don't know about anti-flag yet. What's your problem? <laughs> like show them the world, like be excited for them. Uh, so I, I need those reminders too. You know, I'm certainly critiquing myself as well. No, I, and I think we all do, you know, and I think that I have a tendency to be a little on the nerdy side uh, sometimes, but like you can get caught up in that nerdiness and forget that it's ultimately meant to be something more than just nerdy facts and, and a genre of music. It's, <laughs> it's meant to be something larger than that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where would you have gotten into that Kill Rockstar stuff and, and sort of the more kind of like, you know, I consider Sonic Youth a punk band, but like, you know, something that was more kind of from that realm. Well, it's weird because uh, everyone, everyone on the internet is going to love this. Just kidding. No one cares about me. Like literally no one will listen to this episode. Um, I never really got into Fugazi. Same, same. <laughs> now I'm the only person that I know other than you now. Yep. Two of um, us. <laughs> there's two of us in, in the United States. Okay. We'll start our own. Well, I'm actually group. technically in Toronto, Canada. So two of us in North oh, America. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. Well, that I, statistically that actually makes more sense. There's two people in North America. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that quote unquote, never really got into Fugazi. <laughs> um, and you know, I love that band and mm -hmm. I obviously listen, I've heard them a lot and I listen to them. I've seen them play and whatever. But they were not my introduction to DC uh, in a weird way. Bikini Kill was, even though they were like transplants and mm -hmm. traveling and touring a lot. Like, um, like I was just more into what was going on. Um, well, yeah, with like Kill Rock Stars, and I, I, I'm wondering if it was just some random, like Beavis and Butthead episode <laughs> or. Um, a circus magazine mm -hmm. ad or something like I used to buy circus magazine all the time. Like I always liked music. Um, but I, th I kind of think that when I kind of stopped listening to pop, right. And stopped listening to what my parents were listening to, um, and really started, started listening to things that I was choosing. Um, I think it was right girl, you know? Um, and I know Babes in Toyland is kind of in their own separate world, but it was Babes in Toyland, Bikini Kill, and Hole. Like, that was my shit. Mm -hmm. I've always been. Which is why I'm not a great guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's why I can't play guitar at all, because I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think, like, I've always been fascinated by that, that Washington State, Washington, D.C. connection. Right. Yeah. How weird is that? It's really weird. I've, and like, when you, have you read that book, Dance of Days, like the DC history book? I have. It's it's been a little while, but but I have. And I know Mark Anderson. He's a really nice guy, and he's really supportive of War on Women. Which oh, that's really awesome! Cool. I love that. I love yeah. that book. And I and I think that that part of that book has always been one of the more interesting parts, where it really details that connection, these two scenes that were like literally a country apart. Yeah, <laughs> but it's cool that there was this connection to uh, you know about um just what they were it's like their message like what mm -hmm. they were about mm -hmm. like like what they were pissed off about like that that connection was there and so to find support across the country i think that's really like that's a really beautiful thing that back then they even found each other absolutely you know um you mentioned being into music right from an early age uh what were some of the first 
like music you got into and how did that happen? Like were your parents into music or is that from friends or? Oh yeah. No, my, like my mom loves to sing. Her brother played guitar. Um, my uncle obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like my dad, you know, loves ACDC till he dies. (laughs) Um, that's pretty awesome. My mom, mom, like one of her favorite bands of all time is bad company. Um, (laughs) you know, so they, they were, they were teenagers and, and they were young and, um, growing up in the seventies. So they had all the best rock music from the seventies to, to cut their teeth on. And then I was, I was born in 82, which was the same year that MTV was born. And my mom was very young when she had me. And so a lot of my time was spent like in a crib or a playpen or something with a TV on to sort of be the babysitter. Mm -hmm. Um, cause she had, work to do you know she had to go work or like it was just like you know kind of hard um single mom stuff right Mm -hmm. and so like i grew up watching music videos and so i grew up with madonna and prince and george michael and michael jackson like these pillars of perfect pop music yeah and so like, I don't feel embarrassed about that at all, that I was just listening to what was on the radio because what was on the radio was amazing, you know, <laughs> for the most part, right? It was a pretty good era. So it was a good time. Yeah. Um, and then, but, you know, but she also listened to, like, the Judds or something. <laughs> and, like, just some random stuff that now I'm like, no, no, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, it was like, it was, I, you know, I'd seen plenty of videos and I... I knew people played rock music and played guitar and, but it didn't click until I saw a woman playing guitar on MTV. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is cool. Like I don't need to listen to weird Al anymore. (laughs) Um, I can listen to originals that actually speak to me because someone that looks like me is doing it. Mm -hmm. And like, that was, I mean, I can't, that's why I keep coming back to it. It was just a really pivotal moment for me that I bet a lot of marginalized people feel that way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like seeing someone that looks like you doing something that you're like, oh, so I can do that. I didn't know. I just saw these white dudes playing guitar. So I thought it just wasn't for me, but. Well, I guess it speaks to the importance of representation. And in and, and media and, uh, and seeing, yeah, like you're saying, seeing someone like yourself doing it. Yeah. I just, yeah, I know from personal experience how, how important representation is in all forms of media. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't even imagine how different my life would be if, if I'd never had that sort of lightning rod moment, you know, like my whole life is based on playing music. Uh, like I fix amps for a living you know, like I, like I play in a band I have, and I don't make a lot of money so that I have the freedom to leave town and go on tour. Yeah. You know, um, it is that's your my life. whole life. Yeah. What would I be doing if I hadn't seen some lady play guitar on TV? I don't know. It, like, and I know you said the Judd's kind of disparagingly there, but they, they both, they, well, one of them played guitar, right? Oh yeah. No, I know. It's fun to talk shit about stuff. <laughs> I know. But in my mind, while I was saying that and being so negative, I was like, working in a coal mine, going on down, down, you know, like, I know the words. They're good singers. Yeah, I was never a country music fan, but even I fuck with the Judds a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I fuck with the Judds. (laughs) (laughs) But how did you kind of get from, you know, being into that, 
I guess, you know, the perfect pop stuff as you're describing that was happening on the radio and TV at the time into, you know, what you're ultimately doing now, which is decidedly, you know, still rooted in pop music, obviously, ultimately, but like way more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely like a trajectory, <laughs> um, which um, it's really interesting that you asked that because the lady that put out our first EP, mm-hmm. Katie Otto, she runs Exotic Fever Records. She was in she's in the band Bald Rapunzel back in the day, Trophy Wife. Um, anyway, she's kind of she's on the cover of that one Q and Not You record where there's all those people standing at a party. Oh, that's crazy! Like, yeah, like she's like she's done some shit, right? Um, she's an awesome lady, good friend. Um, she put out our first record, so we'll always be eternally grateful for that. But but she recently did an interview with me and one of my old bandmates. Um, and she did it and just kind of put online, uh, just cause she felt like it because she thought that men were often asked about their musical journeys mm-hmm. and she didn't feel like a lot of women were asked the same thing. Like we assume that whatever we're seeing a woman doing, that's the first time she's ever done it. And she got help from all the men in her life to know how and, and, um, you know, we don't think of them as, as, um, I don't know, musicians, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. with a history, with a, that of with a practice or whatever. So that, I don't know. So props to you, I guess, for actually asking me, how'd you get from Bikini Kill to War and Women? Cause like, they're not the same band. <laughs> not at all. No. And people, I, it- people like to group, you know, women together, but like, we're obviously very different musical projects. Well, that's why I thought it was great that you brought up like the fact that Babes and Toyland were kind of a separate thing, you know, because I think, you know, like I went to an L7 concert the other day and all these people are like, oh, L7, Riot Girl, Riot Girl, L7 is fucking amazing. But I'm like, they don't sound like the bands that were waving the Riot Girl flag at the time. Like they were kind of doing yeah. a different thing and they've been doing it kind of longer and, and carving their own path to throw them in together is kind of like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's, it's dismissive. Yeah, it's just, you're right. hundred percent. Yeah, it's just like, oh, another woman. Okay, yep, right, girl. You know. Yeah, yeah. And we're still kind of doing that today. Like, I know the '90s are back and everything, but <laughs> like, just because women are in a band doesn't yeah. make it right, girl. You yeah. know, like yeah. to me, that was a very specific time, and and the style of music was in itself a protest against like, you know, '80s hair metal and the over like sexualization of women and. And like all of that stuff. And so, so, so that is definitely where my story begins. Like I saw a lady play guitar on TV and I was like, I want a guitar for Christmas right now today and got a guitar and started playing and got, you know, good. And then for a long time I thought, well, I don't have to be that good because I don't want to be like these dudes Mm -hmm. that suck. (laughs) <laughs> fuck these guys so but so i'm gonna play just totally average and that'll show them you know and and i had to i had to let go of that it's so you know you grow up and you, you you do another band and you realize like oh maybe i should practice you know and um i'm still not at so, that point myself so. <laughs> so so then i then i got in this band actually with Brooks, who plays guitar in War and Women, like we were in this band before War and Women called Avec. And it was in that band with these three dudes that all went to school for music. And me, this fucking <laughs> riot girl that was like, who cares if I know how to play? Um, you know, I wrote interesting stuff and I, and I, 
I was very decent. And I, so I know they saw something in me and it, and it made sense. Um, but it, I definitely had to rise to their level mm-hmm. to be, to make for it, for it to make sense to be in a band with them. And so that was a really big, like growing opportunity. And so I got, you know, that was like the peak of my guitar playing ability. Like that's when I was at my best is when we were playing in a VEC and I was playing guitar and so were you guys, um, sorry, was, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but was a VEC from Texas or is, are you already in Baltimore at this point? Baltimore. So this is the fun thing. Okay. The confusing thing. Okay. Yeah. That, I was a little confused. Yeah. Everyone that was in a VEC was from Texas. Okay. The three, the three guys, they met in Texas. They went to college together in Texas and then they collectively moved to Baltimore <laughs> And after they'd been here a year or so, they were on tour and they saw me play while I was still living in Nashville. I opened up a show for them um, playing acoustic because my band had just broken up, um, the band that I was in for a long time in Nashville. What was that band called? Sorry. That band was called Fair Verona. Fair Verona. Okay. Yeah. And and they had actually seen Fair Verona play at Mac Rock. Um, around the year 2000, give or take, I don't know. And they, they liked us and they remembered me and they were like, Hey, we're playing Nashville. Oh, can fair Verona play? No, they just broke up, but Shauna can play the show. And they were like, all right, I guess <laughs> that's fine. And, and at that show, I was like hearing guitar parts that weren't there. And because they're just a three piece. And I was mm. like hearing, I was like hearing what I would play. And I was like, what are you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Where are you guys from? <laughs> what's, what's your story? You know, cause I didn't remember meeting them or anything. And, and they were like, yeah, we've actually been talking about adding another guitar player. You want to move to Baltimore? And I was like, yeah, cool. And they were like, sure. And I was like, no, really? <laughs> and I was serious. I was serious. It was time in my heart. It was time for me to move. And so so they were already living in Baltimore. I moved up here. We all happen to be from Texas. Um, and now we live here. What was the differences between the scene in Nashville that you kind of had left and, and kind of the scene in Baltimore at the time when you got there? Well, Nashville is the middle of America. So mm-hmm. especially at the time, yes, the internet existed, but it was not even close to what we <laughs> know it today. Yeah. Um, cause this is like late nineties. Um, so yeah, things got to us a bit slower. So we, we were hanging on to new metal for quite some time. Um, and you know, and that's a pretty good protest against country music and, and basically how everyone's dad made a living as being like a studio mm-hmm. musician or something. Um, and yeah, Fair Verona for the record was not new metal. We were definitely like this weird, like alternative grunge three part harmony thing. Um, heavily influenced by helium. Oh, that's an awesome um, fuck. That band's amazing. Yeah. One, again, one of the bands I was fucking obsessed with growing up. I like, saw them for open sure. for Sonic Youth at one of the first shows I ever went to, and it was like mind expanding. Whoa. Yeah. I've never, I've never, I've never gotten to see them. I think they, but, only, they broke up, right? Pretty sorry. I'm, I'm uh, now we're talking helium. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I'll say I, I never got to see helium, but I did get to see Mary Timoney play mm-hmm. with Fred Armisen while they covered songs that he wrote for SNL. Whoa! <laughs> 
And I was, I was actually, uh, Brooks and I were teching that show. So we were working for Fred that night and, and during the show I was doing merch. And so I had like a perfect view. This is in DC somewhere. And, um, and they, I feel like everyone should know the song, but I know no one will. Um, there's a, there's a one band, the one skit on SNL where a band is just like, they're obviously like doing heroin or something. And they're just singing about like, can we stay with you? <laughs> and like, they really mean it. They mean on tour. Can they stay with you tonight? Yeah. Cause they don't have anywhere to stay. <laughs> yeah. And to, and to hear Mary Timoney, like do that harmony and sing that. I was just like, Oh my God, this is perfect. So perfect. There were a couple skits on Saturday Night Live where he wrote the songs for him or, and it was like that street fight in the parking lot where it's like, Oh yeah. Classic, you, Cla- you, instant classic. Yeah. Like you, you had to have been in a band to be able to come up with those sorts of jokes yeah yeah even i honestly i even sing the apple juice song (laughs) to myself a bottle of sparkling apple juice did you get it (laughs) like (laughs) that's always running through my head (laughs) so was was fair verona your very first band or did you have any like sort of high school bands where you're just playing solo prior to that it was basically my first band it it started out it had a different name you know whatever Mm -hmm. um there was a, a couple like lineup changes but it, at its core, like that's what it was. Um, so yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I think by the time I moved to Baltimore and joined Vivek, most people that play music play in a bunch of different bands and they try a bunch of stuff out and they jam with people and you know, whatever. And I was kind of in the same band for like six years. And so when we broke up, like I was devastated yeah, and I didn't, hard my identity was completely entwined with being in this band and I didn't know what I was going to do. And Mm -hmm. so that's another reason why sandwiches, which is what Avec was called before I joined it. That's why they were like, you want to move to Baltimore? I was like, sure. (laughs) Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was really great. It was three women up front. Um, guitar, guitar, bass. And then, uh, we always happened to have a, a male drummer and, we worked really hard and got to play some cool shows and it just kind of fizzled because we'd been doing it a long time and, and we'd been touring and I, I mean, I was, I was the youngest member, you know? So mm-hmm. I was like, we were like, we'd wait till the summer so that I could tour with the band. Cause I was still in high school. <laughs> and, um, and we'd realized that we got in like a really bad record contract and, and it was like a super small local um, label but it was just like, you will never have freedom. You will never have money, no matter what happens. And so kind of the best way to get out of it is we just sort of broke up. Mm-hmm. And that seemed important at the time. Like, I, I don't, I have no idea what I would do today. I don't even know what that contract really said anymore. I just know, like, that was not right for us at the time. And so I was like, well, now what? Now what am I going to do? So I joined this really weird kind of mathy, <laughs> jazzy rock band um, in Avec and, and had fun with that for a few years. Where did you? Where did Avec fit in in Baltimore at the time? Because like, I've always been amazed every time going to, to your city that how different scenes are there and how many different scenes there are within that. Dude, everyone – what's it's it's a a pro and a con like so many people in baltimore are creative and wonderful and there's amazing art being made in in every media and fashion but 
everyone is so creative that there's no one to just go to your show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yep. and it was kind of the same in Nashville, honestly, like, like I heard, I heard something once that there are more bands per square mile in Nashville than any other city. And maybe that's not true anymore, but it, it definitely felt true when I lived there. <laughs> yeah. Um, every, everyone was in a band, everyone had access to music and, and instruments and, and, and money, I guess. Um, most of the kids that I knew, not me, but, um, and so, yeah, just, there were, there were a ton of bands in Nashville and just, just like here in Baltimore, there's a ton of bands and they're all different. I would say that being on the East coast, I feel like people take chances. I feel like it's grittier. It's real. It's dirty. Um, you're inside a lot more. I, I really love it. I really, really love the scene here. And I love I love how many women and trans and non-binary people mm-hmm. are are doing things and accepted and a part of the scene, like on stage and behind the scenes. Um, it definitely, it's a very unique feeling town. Has it changed much, like, since you've been there? Because you've been there a long time now, I guess, right? Or a while. Yeah, I guess I have. Yeah, like maybe 15 years now. The longest I've lived anywhere mm-hmm. by, by three, by three times. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those where I see this everywhere though. Like I see, I see neighborhoods getting, uh, gentrified and, and sometimes what's the word for gentrification where it's not bad. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Punk house is going up, I guess. Yeah, know. like there might be a form of like, oh, well, things change and people move in and that's not necessarily gentrification, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I don't want to say it's all just like white people moving in and raising the prices, but that's mostly what's happening in, in certain neighborhoods. Um, but I feel like I've, I've also noticed that across the country, mm-hmm. you know, like there's just... I don't know who is making new homes for who, but it just seems stupid no matter what city I'm in um, that there, you know, we have a a ton of abandoned, like abandoniums, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we call them, abandoned row houses. And they're still just putting up new condos in in neighborhoods. And and it's, that's really frustrating to me Mm -hmm. um, to see. But I am also technically lower class, and so I can't <laughs> do much about it um, myself. Um, but yeah, I don't remember your original question, actually. No, I, just, I, I was just wondering about how much has changed, like as a city, because it seems like yeah, so go, it's go. changed a lot. But again, I think I think a lot of cities have, and I think a lot of people still don't get that there will never be that the houses they made. <laughs> <laughs> 10, 20 years ago will never be worth what they thought they would be worth. Like, I think we're still dealing with that, honestly. Um, yeah. Um, so when, when you sort of you move up to Baltimore and, and you're, you're playing in a vac, did you, how much, did you guys tour much? Was the band touring a lot? Yeah. No one gave a shit though. <laughs> <laughs> like my, my before, like war and women is the most, a successful band I've been in. Yeah. And it 100% depends on your definition of success, obviously. 
Um, but we're the most well-known band that I've been in. And that's not saying much, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, we toured all the time and, and we really gave it our all. Like we, you know, put out records that, that I am so proud of to this day. And I think that's one of the reasons why that band just kind of fizzled. It didn't really, we didn't have a big breakup or anything. We just, we all were just kind of tired. I think you, you put so much of yourself in something and it just doesn't seem like anyone cares. And, and frankly, that is, you know, that's naturally how bands should get weeded out, I guess, <laughs> out of the millions of bands that are, that exist today and go on tour. Like that's a normal Darwinian process, you know, but, but it was tough on us. And, and I think it really set like me, me and Brooks, we, we weren't done playing music mm-hmm. though. You know what I mean? Like we, we didn't feel done or settled or ready to stop. Um, so we were like, well, let's, let's do something else then if we're not doing a Beck. And, and he was like, yeah, you know what? We've been playing all this mathy stuff. Let's play something <laughs> just heavier back to my roots, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm also really mad about the patriarchy. Okay. Let's put these two things together. And, 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 and it kind of just made it um, easy for us to do something that really was for us only. Mm-hmm. Like we did not, know or care that anyone else would ever hear it that's not why we started the band it was it was something that we just wanted to do as a creative outlet and you know it's one of those things you you can look back now you a few years later and you realize like maybe that's why this band speaks to people that's why people found out about it and it resonates with them like there must be something about our earnestness that they can read. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I think, well, it's, it's just like war on women is a, is a very honest band, you know, and there's so much, even in punk and hardcore, like so much play acting and bands thinking about things that they'll never experience or never really know about. And I think mm. that's never the case with your band. Mm. You know, and to be fair, I think that, that that can that critique can be true of any genre. Oh yeah, I no, I was saying punk and hardcore. Saying yeah, it's 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 you know because it's a quote unquote real genre. It's rare here, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, but so was rap. So was yep. country. Yep. Right. Like I I I I think because that we are in a position where we're going to be overanalyzed or critiqued um, in the music world. I like to make sure I don't put punk you know, throw punk under the bus for no reason. <laughs> oh, believe me on this, on this show, it's already on a pedestal high enough that it can survive a couple hits from that bus. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> it's the titular thing in this podcast. So we, we, we definitely put it up on that pedestal, but I feel like, you know, it, it has to be kind of acknowledged as being something that does have its problems as I'm sure you well know. Yeah. Um, what before we move on to war on women um just going back uh with a vec you guys eventually the last records on jim from uh spartan at the drive-ins label right yeah jim ward mm-hmm. were you um once again one of the nicest people i've ever met in music but what was your experience like right? on that label he's such a nice guy like so nice yeah so nice um yeah i just uh i just talked to him the other day actually um 
it's been really funny to see all those all this like Beto Beto or yeah um stuff come up because um like like Brooks grew up in El Paso at that time. And so like he was also in a band with Cedric when he was a teenager, you know what I mean? Yep. And like he knows Beto. And he's like, yeah, that was just another dude in town um, <laughs> that we hung out with. Like, and we just broke out our, like, he has a foss. He has that foss. Uh, he has that seven, seven inch? inch? Oh, my yeah. God. What does it sound yeah. like? Well, we were actually, I was trying to hook it up and then you called me. So I didn't get oh, to I listen ruined to it. it yet. I fucking yeah. ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew the call was coming. Okay, but, good. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're going to listen to it probably when we're done, when I'm done with this interview, uh, just to go back in time a little bit but yeah so it's it's really interesting to see i'm i'm always like yo brooks your boy's on the news again <laughs> like your boy's on facebook and he's like he's just a dude i knew you know <laughs> the world is relying on his boy to save it right now <laughs> yeah i know i know i know and because he and i both happen to be from texas we are watching this election cycle um with very interested (laughs) eyes um because we are like we're we're i don't know i think i'm cautiously optimistic and Mm -hmm. i think brooks is like no it's gonna stay red i don't i don't care what anybody says that state is gonna stay red that that state sucks (laughs) we're all we're all watching and hoping you know like waiting room could be the state song no, he'd probably make the big boys. He'd make a big boy song, the state song, hopefully. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, but um, so, you know, um, we we just asked Jim if he wanted to put out our record, and he did. And he his label was an imprint of another label. And I think, like, I do not want to say too much about it because I have a terrible memory. And so I'll probably say something that's not accurate, <laughs> yeah. which would drive everyone crazy. So... Um, but something happened to where like, they just, they just didn't care about, they, they didn't give Jim's label anything it needed Mm -hmm. to, to succeed. They didn't give him a chance. And so like, it just didn't go anywhere. Our record didn't go anywhere. It didn't get any attention. It it didn't like, they didn't, they didn't, it's like, they didn't tell anyone our record was out basically. Mm -hmm. So after we like poured our heart and soul into that last record, like that's when we were like, okay, never mind. <laughs> Let's just stop this for a while. It's too heartbreaking, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's like well, it seems like both those first two musical experiences were plagued by music industry bullshit. Yeah, I've had a lot of that. I guess yeah, I've never really thought about that. Um, and it's weird to say because like the first time around, I was like sixteen, and mm-hmm. I'm like signing a record deal, and so. Like, like my guitar, my other guitarist, Beth, she came to my work to tell me that, that we were going to get signed by them, the, the official news that we were going to get signed. Cause I didn't have a cell phone, Yeah, you know, like yeah. she had, she had to visit me or see me at school or something. <laughs> Write you a letter. And, yeah. So she came to my work and I was working at Joanne's, et cetera, you know, a craft store and and I was wearing an apron probably and khaki pants as is the uniform. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you have a you got a record deal before you turn 18. And I was like, yay, you know, and it's, and like, how strange is that? (laughs) How strange is that? And then it was just shit. Like it's like, didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't do anything. 
I don't know. At the end of the day, like independent labels can be just as sketchy as majors. I mean, that's what it was. Like they, they were straight up taking advantage of young women Mm -hmm. that didn't know any better, you know? Well, and you're under 18. How could you know better about the music industry at that point? Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just wanted to play, you know, like we just wanted to play music. And, and at some point we finally got a lawyer like through, through a friend of a friend, a recommendation, and she was willing to do, look at the contract pro bono. And that's the only way that would have happened. And she was like, this is terrible. Why, why did you sign this? Do you know what you signed? And we were basically like, no, not really. And she's like, this should not, no, I'm throwing this out. <laughs> and, and that was that. And we just stopped being a band. And, uh, and yeah. And so then the thing with Jim's label, just putting absolutely no resources or attention or anything, it, it really shows it. I, I certainly feel very lucky anytime anything ever cool happens for Warren women. Cause I know, I know what it feels like to try really hard and no one care or help or, or listen um, so now, after the Yvesque sort of you know disaster of dealing with that last record, um, and you know you and Brooks decide to do Warren Women, how did the rest of the uh, initial lineup kind of come together? Well, we were kind of just demoing songs, and um, once we had a few ideas down, we were like, okay, well, we live in modern times now; it's 2010, <laughs> so. Let's let someone just listen to this demo and see if they're into it before we make them come to a physical space, you know. Um, and so we played it. We played it for a few people. And for the most part, I think a lot of people were like, nah, I'm good. Really? <laughs> like they, yeah, like we definitely got some hard passes. <laughs> um, so we kept whatever we kept looking. And then I think the first person that was like, yeah, this sounds fun. I haven't played drums in a while this would be cool uh the first person was evan tanner to play drums and he he is of um you should probably tell me you probably have it written down somewhere but he was in the p tanks yep liars academy uh, liars academy cross your heart oh i don't know that one cross my heart cross hidden hand hidden hand he played with wino for a bit and hidden hand um and then, and actually kind of towards, towards the end, he was helping out government issue on drums. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. When we did, did, we did, we did one tour. We did one run with government issue and Evan was playing drums and for both bands at when the time is when we both went down to play fest. What year was that? Like two, I mean, two... it was like only months before John died. Oh, honestly. Wow. I had no idea yeah. that even happened. Yeah. I was, uh, wow. Was he, cause was he in okay health of that, on that tour or? Well, he's, he was complaining about his stomach and having stomach problems, but kind of, and we kind of got the sense that he always had stomach problems. Yeah. Um, but they were just worse than he was used to. They had just gotten worse. And, but he was, he was very, he was very John Stab the whole tour, you know, like just story after story and opinion after opinion. And he was really supportive of us. Like he really liked us and, and, you know, like, I don't know why it was really cool, but, um, he, 
like, and he's funny, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like he was in good spirits and then sometimes he'd just have to sit down and be quiet and let his stomach hurt sort of, you know? Yeah. And then kind of, it was kind of shortly after that, honestly, that it just, he went, it's, it's after that tour that I think he went to the doctor and figured out what was going on and, and was, he didn't have that long. Yeah, it was very that. quick after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess there's no way to transition in any sort of grace back to talking about fun no. music stuff. So when, when you kind of did start finding, you know, Evan joins the band, did you play live? Oh, actually, sorry, going back, I meant to ask you, did the sound come to you right away or was that something that had to be worked at? Like, was that an initial demo? What kind of ultimately is the sound you decide on or? Yeah. You know, I think for, for, so for, for, we had decided in advance that, that I would just sing in this band. Yeah. Um, Brooks had seen me, I did a bikini kill cover band actually with Katie Otto on drums um, I did that for like a year. You know, we had a handful of shows. It was just for fun. And I, I was, that's awesome. That's and, awesome. And, um, I'm pretty sure there are videos on YouTube if you really wanted to find them. Well, you're going to be uh, listening to Foss and I'm going to be looking for bikini kill cover bands. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. We were called raw, raw replica. Raw, raw replica. Awesome. Uh, I was like, come on, that's perfect name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so he came out to see one of the shows and he was like, wait a second, you should just do this. And I was like, what? You're crazy. I'm a guitar player, you know? And uh, he's like, no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think you are a front person. And I was like, okay, let's, let's try it. Like, let's try it with our own songs. So he, so we had the decision, okay, I'm just going to sing. So that I'm already sort of off my footing, right? I'm already like, this is weird yeah. and I'll do my best. Yeah. And how do you sing when you, when you know that you, you, you can't, you literally can't sing the entire song and you're going to take a break, but you don't have a guitar to keep your hands busy. Like, like, what are these things? What do you do? I don't know. Um, and so while I was thinking about that and trying to make it interesting for me without, like, I've always written songs um, on guitar. Like mm-hmm. I've always sung and played guitar. And so I knew like what I was singing and what I was playing could work within each other or play off each other or, you know, like I just knew the whole picture. And so it was interesting to try to write in a way that kept me interested when I didn't know maybe what else might happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> what the second guitar part might be, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right. Um, but I think Brooks just had riffs. He just had riffs ready to go. He's a riff machine. He's very prolific. And like he grew up on Metallica and heavy metal and as well as Fugazi and all the stuff I missed out on. And, and so I think it was easier for him (coughs) to not be thirsty. (laughs) Um, let me get, let me get some water. No problem. Do not worry. I, I knew better. I knew that I should be prepared for that. Well, that's what, like, <laughs> I normally try and bring a cup of water, but then I normally drink it before I sit down, and then halfway through the interview, I have to go to the bathroom. 
So oh, yeah. it's always it's a, a, a it's balance. It's just like tour. It's just like tour. <laughs> just exactly. like being in the van. There's a there's never a perfect moment of not being thirsty and also not having to use the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. It's terrible. I think also as our band's gotten older, it's like we have to stop for the bathroom a lot more. So it's Uh-oh. like I, that's just too slower. much information. I don't need to know that. <laughs> I just, I'm just sharing, you know, just being honest. <laughs> I, I just start. Um, I got a new job, and the the owner was telling us about radical <laughs> candor today, and so that was a, mm. that's an example of radical candor. Yeah, I do feel closer to you. <laughs> yes, there you go. Now you know the inner workings of fucked up. Literally, cool. Now we can work on a project together <laughs> and get all the returns <laughs> exactly for the widgets. Whatever. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, uh, you were. Uh, where, where, where were you? <laughs> Well, I was saying Brooks has rips. Brooks, yeah, rips. <laughs> and yeah, so I I think yeah, we intentionally thought like, okay, let's let's try to shed some of the complexity that Avec had, mm-hmm. which every now and again veered into how weird can we make this? <laughs> you know, like we didn't care if it was listenable or not. Um we just wanted to be interesting and complicated to us, but that's not always best for people watching, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we were like, let's shed a little bit of that. Let's let's keep it heavy and let's get you singing and be a front person. And it was like, okay, what's that sound like? And it just came out. I'm I'm shocked too that like you had never done that before this band because you are such an amazing front person. Well, I have a secret to tell you. I was Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz in I junior was, high. You so. didn't even have to tell me. I knew that. I was the <laughs> cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I I think I mean I mean honestly, if I analyze it now, I'm like, yes, this makes sense. This is what I should have been doing the whole time. I am I am a selfish ratty jerk. <laughs> I should obviously be a front person. How on earth could I share? <laughs> the front of the stage with anyone else i am an asshole so uh that also went to drama competitions when i was younger so this is exactly where i should be it fits it makes sense <laughs> it's have you ever seen that movie the the filth and the fury the sex whistles documentary oh like, i don't know from like, i've seen a couple random things from about like 99 them, i don't know if i saw that anyway i'm just bringing it up because like in it uh john lydon says that his biggest influence was actually now i f- can't remember the name of the actor but like whatever actor portrayed i think it's Lawrence olivier's portrayal of richard the third and like that was his influence <laughs> as a vocalist so ultimately That's awesome ultimately all us vocalists are just theater kids <laughs> dude well to what do you think about this theory? Um, every now and again, you know, you have these conversations in the van. Of course. Um, you get really philosophical. Um, we had a conversation recently about how people that go into acting mm-hmm. and, and are known for acting, then they start to play music or they get in a band and we, we finally hear about the band and it's just kind of like, meh. Yeah. Like, okay. Yep. But people that have played music and performed on stage and done that and and got notoriety through that if they do some sort of bit acting or or take on some acting roles they're always really good that's a yeah i i I would say mick jagger not so good but (laughs) but you're right there are okay you're right (laughs) there are a lot for that one i also this is one that i always think about how many drummers are fucking hilarious and are like killing it in comedy okay 
So you have okay. Fred Armisen played in Trenchmouth. Uh, Craig Ferguson, like the late night talk show host that was on uh, the Drew Carey show. Uh, yeah. pl- played drums for Nico from the Velvet Underground for a tour and played in a bunch of Scottish what? punk bands. I know. It's crazy. It was an episode of the show that he, and he says that to me and I'm like, my mind literally blows up on air. Um, and then also uh, Todd Berry played drums in this incredible band. I forget <laughs> what they're called, but it's on ah, – they're, they're on the internet. It's on YouTube. Oh, my uh, God. And it goes on and on. Like there's just so many drummers that are also really funny. Is it just, I mean, do I have to state the obvious? What is it? It's all about timing. You know what? (laughs) That's an, uh, you know what? I never even thought of it that way. That's an amazing joke and works well for explaining it too, because you're right. They they do have to know the Comedy is a rhythm. It is a rhythm. They keep saying, you're right. And that explains it. I've always wondered, John Worcester from Super Chunk, of course, does all that comedy stuff Oh my God, he's my favorite. Me too. I love him so much. He's my favorite. And we oh, actually on that government issue tour, he came out to the North Carolina show and I was like, oh my God, I love the best show. I love Kid eBay. I love Philly Boy Roy. And he, w- he was like, oh my God, you do. And he was really nice and wanted to talk to me. And I realized, you know, maybe more people talk to him about his band, his drumming, than talk to him about this show. And, and I think he liked hearing that someone liked it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I think he doesn't get to like bask in it as much because he's always hiding behind a character. Yes. And I was like, you're a fucking genius. Yes. Like, I love your stuff. Oh, and yeah. And he was like, oh, my God, thank you. And I was like, thank you. Take my CD, please. And also, like, couldn't you imagine Bill Stevenson as a comedian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> He would be like a Mitch Hedberg kind of. Yes, yes. Like, here's a random thought. And then we laugh for three minutes straight while he's thinking of kittens. And then he yeah. says something else that we laugh at, you know. Absolutely. It's that, it's as you said, ry- rhythm and timing is what. <laughs> <laughs> um. So when you, when you start playing out, is, is there like. An audience right away is you have to build it. Because you said, like, Baltimore is a weird city because everyone's in a band and everyone's doing something. Yeah, well, to be fair, like, maybe not everyone's in a band. But if you're not in a band, you're an artist. If okay. you're not an artist, you're a filmmaker. Okay. If you're not a film, you know, like, and everyone's a bartender and everyone works late. And so everyone's being pulled in all these different directions and everyone is super creative, band or not. And mm-hmm. then... At, sometimes just at the end of the week, you just don't have the money or the energy because you've already been going out and doing stuff, right? So the first show we played um, was at a birthday party, like in a loft space, like in one of these converted warehouses where each floor might be a different set of apartments that people built with their own. They, they found drywall and just propped it up and made a room, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was our first show and, and we were only a four piece. We didn't have second guitarist yet. And our only goal was kind of just getting together, playing these songs. They had like five, six songs. We just wanted to play Charm City Art Space. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people that come through town, like Charm City Art Space isn't around anymore, but it was around for a long time. And it was like the DIY co-op space to play and 
it sounded terrible. (laughs) And, you know, no one, there wasn't a sound engineer, you know, like, like this was just, this was just the DIY spot. True DIY. And we were, yeah. And it's like a legendary Baltimore spot. And we're like, well, let's just play there. And we'd play there with our old band, of course, but, but we're like, with this new project, whatever this is, let's just play Charm City Art Space. And then we did. And then we kept getting shows. And we were like, okay, let's put out a record. And okay, we'll keep jumping on. We just, you know, we were jumping on shows and and playing with friends and doing whatever. And, and I, I, I do think that there was a little maybe resistance um, from maybe not even like from an audience that would show up to play, but from some of our friends, you okay. know, and th- cause those are two different things. Yeah. Like your friends don't care about your band necessarily. No, they're the right? first people to stop coming. Exactly. Um, and that's fine, you know, um, because it's the bands that rely on their friends to come to the shows. Like those are the bands that don't make it <laughs> you, yeah. like because those friends stop coming and then you have to break up because no one ever. Yeah. Up, oh, right? damn. That was over. Yeah. So I, I'm perfectly happy being in a band where my friends don't want to come see me. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like friends or friends of friends, they, they would just be like, why are you yelling? <laughs> like what is, Oh, I just don't like it. Like it's too aggressive. And, you know, and it's like, what? You listen to fucking all kinds of shit. <laughs> like it, like it, I don't know. There were some moments early on where it was obvious, like, okay, people really aren't used to hearing a woman yell, mm-hmm. like who's actually mad and who, who doesn't sound exactly like, rah, 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 you know, like whatever that style of male vocal is mm-hmm. where it's just like. It, where it's just vocal fry, it sounds like to me, you know, like where it's actually very quiet, but it sounds really intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that's called, but not. But I wasn't doing that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm pissing off a, a population of people. Oh, this, this podcast, we, that's what we're about here. We're about bringing new people <laughs> in and pushing old people out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Put that on a shirt. Constantly, um, that's what we're doing on this show. <laughs> all right, sweet. Um, so yeah, some people just weren't weren't into it, and luckily we didn't care. So yeah. we we kept doing it, and and then we kind of kind of fell into being able to. I think because we put something out on Katie Otto's label, and she's distributed through Discord. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there were a couple opportunities for people to like review the record and to be able to talk about us and stuff. And so, um, it's one of those like, Oh, something new on the scene, something to talk about. Um, and then it feels like the next chapter was sort of me writing a letter to Chris Hanna of Propagandi and him writing back and saying, do you guys want to go to Europe? <laughs> basically. (laughs) So then we sort of began our propaganda phase, um, of our band where we got to play with them a lot. And that, I mean, that's, that's when, that's when we got exposed to like the most new people early on. And, and that was, I mean, I, I, like we owe them a lot 
you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know where we'd be without that opportunity, without, without, without a good band that are men saying that they had our back, you know, and that it was important for them to have us on tour with them multiple times and to show their audience, our band, um, that, that carries a huge, a huge weight, um, for people, I think. And sometimes you need that, you know, I sometimes think we're we're very grateful, you know? Well, I, I sometimes even think where I would be as a person without Chris Hanna and propaganda, like that just, that band exposed me to like, just so much stuff is like, you know, just this like heteronormative white dude that I was just unaware of. And then just a bunch of other heteronormative white dudes being like, yo, no, check this shit out. You, you don't even know what's going on, dude. <laughs> right, and, right. And like introducing me to stuff that, yeah, like it, it's amazing what a world that band opened for so many people just, you know, just sitting at home listening to Epifat bands at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for being a, a good band that writes good songs that plays well and stands for something. Yeah. And, and that, that has always kind of been our goal too. Mm-hmm. Like we, I know that we could play right girl and people would come to the shows and it'd be fun. And that's great. But I, I think that if we want to get our message to different folks that maybe aren't as readily receptive to our message or haven't heard it as much or aren't exposed to it for whatever reason, that being the kind of band we are makes that possible, you know, because we're heavy, we're proficient, we're catchy, but also, you know, like, and I can say all this cause I don't actually play an instrument. So I feel like I'm, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm bragging. I feel like I'm, I'm giving props to my bandmates, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, we're a good band. And so, um, I, I think that that makes it easier to sort of take that medicine of like, maybe, maybe you're not quite as cool as you think you are. And you can learn something about how you treat women, you know? I think you guys have also, uh, sorry, your, your band has also made a huge point of like going out there and like, you, like you're saying, like playing to people that might not otherwise be exposed to that audience. Like y- you did a warp tour, right? Sure did. <laughs> what was that like? Um, that's, that's always the question. What was that like? <laughs> I, I, well, they, they offered us one time and we came back with a figure that was just too ridiculous, but just so they wouldn't bring us because we were scared ever ask you again <laughs> yeah and we never got asked again <laughs> well that took care of that yeah. <laughs> no i mean like if this whole thing if this whole interview even is about like what is punk and how do you get to be punk and 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 what does it mean like i feel that going into places where maybe you aren't 100 percent welcome or expected is punk. I, I, I am, I think it's really cool. And, and I, I get a little bittersweet about how, you know, not, not every show we have is, is a bunch of rad, like women and trans and non-binary people 
like all dancing and like having a good time and singing along and like feeling us like not every show we have is like that. And it'd be awesome if it was, but I'm fine with the fact that not every show is like that. I'm, I'm okay that sometimes we are having to prove ourselves. Sometimes we're having to shove something in someone's face. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're like, sometimes we're undoing someone's stereotypes of women and music in real time. (laughs) You know, like I can see their face changing over the course of 30 minutes and that's wild. But like, I like that challenge. Like, That's what makes it easier for me to be aggressive every fucking show, to be angry every show, because I'm looking at things that represent why I'm angry in the first place. And it can it can get me there. And and frankly, I think that's more impressive, you know, than a spiky haircut or something. Well, yeah. And I think the tours that you've done have not been like. No, it's not like you're playing to your crowd a lot of the time. Like you have done those tours, obviously, but like, you know, playing with Black Flag, playing with Government Issue, even playing with Propagandi, I can imagine you're encountering not necessarily the most open-minded fan every night. I, I mean, it's a mixed bag, and that's sort of the point. So there, there haven't been that many shows where it's like a wall of white dudes with their arms crossed, right? <laughs> um, but it, it's a, it's a mixed. It's just been a mix. Um, and because I don't want to talk shit about any of those bands, fans. No, and, no, I don't mean that. Sorry, I didn't mean to you know, put them down. But I mean, just in general, like any band that's been around for that length of time playing to this types of audience is going to acquire, in addition to all the wonderful people that like them, their fair share of shitheads. Well, you know, shitheads are the ones that have the money to listen to music, too. Like <laughs> they're probably going out and, and going to more Concerts, con- they go to concerts. They don't go to shows. Yeah, by they, the way. they go to gigs. They go to music concerts. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, they're the ones going out there to go socialize and have a drink anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I almost, you know, we're so lucky that we've been able to open up for all these amazing bands. That sometimes, like, I don't know what our crowd is because mm. we are often playing for other people's people or like with warp tour that's who knows who's showing up that day you know like (laughs) talk about a mixed bag right so uh, i i think actually this upcoming tour that we have uh we don't go out on our own very much um because frankly i just like knowing how much we're going to be getting every night i like knowing we're going to be able to pay for gas yep yeah that's Um, a good thing and so Every now and again, you know, you go out on your own. Sometimes yeah. you don't necessarily have that uh, safety luxury. Net. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we're we're of a certain age, so and on, you know, whatever. So, um, my point being, it's going to be interesting on this tour to see who shows up. Well, like it's it's interesting when you go out with another band. Like I'm always you know, amazed when I come back to another town, just like who's there. And there always is like one or two, like when you're opening for like a really, you know, an odd fit type situation. And the fact that you're like, you're saying you're able to convert some of that audience, not steal it or anything, but like change someone's mind or bring them over. Um, you know, like there's something really rewarding about being able to do that. 
Yeah, I think I got really used to it because I think in I think in Fair Verona, right? Like yeah. we're we're all high school age. We're three women up there. We're setting up our own gear. Like I had some badass equipment because this is before the vintage guitar, bo- the bubble burst. Okay. And so, and I'm living in Nashville for Christ's sake. So like, like I got a '67 Bassman head and matching cab for like four hundred dollars or something at the time and that was like that was so cheap that was so cheap um Shana, so, you, know, you, got... you know what you were saying earlier about like when people start talking about bands and obscure labels and things like that i'm like that with gear <laughs> whenever musicians okay, start talking about gear i start feeling super <laughs> inadequate i'm like yeah i sing into a microphone <laughs> what you got like sm58 uh, or uh, what don't, you got? Uh... don't even know <laughs> Don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's, who cares? Um, you're right. Who cares? Anyway. No, 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 no. I do care. I do think it's. I think it's awesome that you know, like <laughs> that you like. Here's this high school band with ripping gear. Um, exactly. <laughs> it was good gear. It wasn't like expensive um, and big and super loud, and we didn't know how to use a gear. It was good sounding good gear, gear yeah. that was right for the band. I got to hear we this knew band. How to use. Uh, I mean, I was I sang flat a lot, so don't hold it against me, okay? <laughs> You're also in high school, so believe me, I think it's pretty Thank awesome you. that you had a record out. Um, yeah, it took me yeah. till way after high school to do that. But but picture that, picture that, and these young girls, and every time we played a show, we were basically winning, having to convince people that we deserve to be up there. Mm-hmm. Even if you're playing to 20 people in some shitty bar and because we had to hide how old I was, you know, <laughs> to be able to play that night, that happened a lot. Um, like I was constantly winning people over and, and that was the game. Like I was like, by the end of the night, this dude that's staring at me over here is gonna be like, holy shit, you guys rule, mm-hmm. you know? And cause you either get in that mindset or you crumble. And you're like, I'm not dealing with this. It's not worth it, right? So that was the thing. And so it was very easy to sort of slip back into that uh, for this band, which is, I think, more necessary because it's a heavier band and also because we're overtly feminist. But still, just being women up there, we're, we're going to have to convince somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Because also, think about it, like, there, there are... There are plenty of bands that the women in the bands get, I don't know, people, people either want to discount women in bands or they give them a pass and think they're geniuses for performing very basic level skills because we, we have such low expectations of women that we think anything they do up there is amazing, you know? And so, like, no matter who the person in the audience is, their thinking is unfair. <laughs> mm. You're either up on a pedestal or you're down below their boots, right? And so I just want to knock all of that down. I want the pedestal to be knocked down and smashed, and I want to show them my boots, and I want to be the one stomping around, you know? People's perception, like, women just aren't human beings <laughs> to people, like, by default. Um, we are this special creature that's either up on a pedestal and can do no wrong. And therefore anything we do that's normal is wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, or we're less than and, and, and no one expects anything of us. So, um, 
I don't want people to think we're a great band because they're women, because we are women and their expectations of women are so low that they think we're great for that reason. But I, I want them to be able to recognize that we're good and not be just like uh, clouded by the fact that we're women. You know, you just want to be taken at face value. You want to be taken seriously. And um, that's not always happening during the first song. So I yeah. try to get it to happen by the last song. Um, obviously, geographically different places now, but you tour a lot and you've been around now. Is, do you think it's getting any better? Are like men in the audience, uh, like, is it getting, I don't know, like, is there hope? Like, it feels like there's, we're in a time of no yeah. hope. No, there is. There is. There is. Um, it wasn't even that long ago, I remember someone, when, when Nancy was playing guitar in the band, we played, you know, somewhere, you know, middle of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and just this, this guy, this kid, he was probably 18, 20, and he just said, wow, you were really good tonight. And she was like, thank you. And he was like, I've never seen a woman play guitar in real life. Wow. I've seen it online. Wow. But I've never seen it up, up, up close. Like that was that was awesome. And she was like, "Thank you." <laughs> you know, <laughs> cool. You know, like yeah. like we did good. We weren't judging, but we were like, "Okay, that is your reality." All yeah. right. Um, so <laughs> it's one of those like the internet helps with things. The internet hurts with things. Yeah. Um, I I think the fact that people are able to find their communities. And in places where like 10, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have found any community. Um, I think that's, I think that's helpful. And it, and it, it's helpful. It's helpful that you can just like search a random video and see some woman like wailing on the drums on some rush song, you know, like, <laughs> and, and doing just as well as Neil, like, like yeah. that is helpful to see, I guess. I appreciate I that you put it in Canadian terms for me. Yeah, I knew. I wanted you to understand. Yeah, I, I, if you had said something in American, I would have been lost. But I, I understand. Oh? No, yeah. I, th- I and I and like you know, I look at my kids are in school, and there's incredible things like uh, girls rock camp, you know, and like all these things. Yeah. Where, like there's kids in his class now, like young women in his class, well, gr- young girls in his class because he's six yeah uh that are <laughs> that are like aspiring that in a couple of years like oh, i'm gonna go to this camp and i'm gonna learn how to play drums or guitar and and just rock out and have a band and there's been there's an actual like a bunch of bands in toronto that are like have formed there and actually started gigging around and, and actually I, having i've shows. heard about that yeah i think that's i think that's really cool i'm also like hey don't saturate the market you know <laughs> Well, we all like, every, get out of my way. Every time there's <laughs> no, a band kidding. on the scene, we're all like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Another. Yeah, I know, I know. We're just hanging our head, like, "Oh god, are they good? Please be terrible." Yeah. I know, it's so funny. It's uh, only half true, internet. It is only half true. <laughs> it is the reality <laughs> of being in a band. Uh, uh-uh. Shauna, I've kept you for a long time, and if you got to go, I totally understand. Um, and live your life. But at some point in the future, would you be interested in coming back for a part two? (gasps) What an honor. Um, Yes, because I know that you asked Chris number two to come back. And so I was going to be really sad if you didn't ask me. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to say which one it is. I think there are only two ever in the history where I've been like, this can't have a part two. There's nowhere this can go. (laughs) 
Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> but but that being said, like believe me, I would. I, there's going to be many more parts with you if you are willing, because this has been a lot of fun. Um, and it's funny because like I've hung out with like a lot of people in your band, but I've, I don't think we've ever hung out in person that much. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. And I, I can't. Next time we do, we got to sit down and talk best show because that's my favorite thing to do when I'm on tour. Oh man. How do you kill a dead eagle? You just kill it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Shauna, thank you so much. And I uh, look forward to seeing you on the road or in the near future for that part two. All right. High five from uh, over here in Baltimore. And thank you, Shauna, for coming on the show. And you see, we have tons of stuff to talk about now. Best show stuff, all sorts of things. Being in the Wizard of Oz. I tell you, if you're if you're want to be a lead singer out there, any of you younger listeners out there, you want to be a lead singer in a band, sign up for drama, and hope you get cast in The Wizard of Oz because it's like it's like a job placement program for being a lead singer eventually later on in life in a band in a punk band I should say. And you heard right there, Shauna will be back for multiple parts in the future. Speaking of future, next week on the show as kind of weirdly predicted by Shauna next week on the show it is Cedric from Mars Volta and at the drive-in now this one is speaking of front people that I really look up to and I think are amazing Cedric is one of my all-time favorite front people I got to see this band all kind of I'm not gonna say all throughout their career definitely didn't see him in the very beginning but I saw him at a lot of different points in their career and that was one thing that was always consistent, this was and still is a devastatingly powerful, powerful band. And Cedric is the, the, you know, front person. Like I said, I always focus on those front people because that's what I do. And that is the front person at the center of that storm. This is a super fun episode. There's lots of cool stuff in this one. Um, and, and a couple of those like turned out of punk, you know, connection moments, that that speak uh, so deeply to my soul. That comes up in a couple times in this show, and of course we talk about Beto O'Rourke as well. And get to, yeah, it's it's a fun episode. It is a really good episode. Anyway, that is next week on the show. It's we're on a run. We're on a run, everyone. We're having some. We got some great stuff in the future. I'm like looking at what's coming up. We got we got power. We got power in the pack. You know, the Turnover Punk battery pack is is strong, fully charged. You know, we're we're working this thing into high gear. I'm uh, exhausted because I'm doing a lot of different jobs right now. I got a lot of hats on, fucked up, gearing up again. Got this day job that I'm doing now. Um, that's that's great, but you know, it takes a lot out of me. Got this podcast, kids. You know, but that that. That's what we got to do, right? We're all out there doing this kind of stuff, so uh, I'm not going to complain. I'm having a fun time. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this thing. This has been a lot of fun to get to talk to you all again, and I really appreciate you tuning in week after week when there's so much out there for you to listen to. Um, And I promise you I will keep doing the show. It might not come out exactly on the release date, but it will come out pretty close, you know? Pretty close. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening, uh, and I will see you 
next week, but also on footnotes. Footnotes is also coming up this week with uh, my man, my friend, my 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 brother at this point. My, no, I've got a, another brother, Tristan, of course, obviously, but another brother, Chris O'Toole. Oh, and there's another big thing. I got. ah fuck. I yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up. I will get to that in the near future. Anyway, that just hit me, man. Getting uh, epiphanies on air. Should I edit this epiphany out? Fuck it. Should I edit the stuff falling off my desk off? Fuck it. No, we're not. All right. See you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Fuck shit up. Uh, love you. Stay safe. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Oh, one last thing. Please go out there and sign your organ donor card. Um, yeah, and, and give that gift. Thank you. See you next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.